So when Jackie asked me to speak, he said, Summer, would you mind speaking? And then I said yes. I said no like eight times. And then he said, you don't have to actually speak. You could just like talk and then it'll be a discussion and then we'll talk. And then I said, okay, I'm more open to that as long as you promise. And then here I am speaking. So thank you, Jackie. Uh, no, no, but seriously, the, the, but what I basically wanted to give that introduction for is because I, a, I don't believe that I'm actually speaking. Um, I basically had some thoughts in the Parsha that I spent some time speaking to Zevi about and learning with him about it. And so he helped me through this. So if it doesn't sound correct or it sounds ridiculous, blame Zevi for sure. <laughs> Why does every speech we have sound pretty much the same? What? So... I don't really know what I'm talking about before I say anything, but... An hour and a half later, after no, but explaining my role. Yeah. <laughs> and that concludes part A of the <laughs> Which I'm not prepared for. It's another 12-hour seminar. Stay tuned. No, just um, yeah, so that's that. And then, so basically, what we left off with in our discussions is way more questions than answers. And by mean way more, I mean no answers, only questions. So I'm going to pose the questions to you guys. These are the questions that I believe bothered me and I know that bothered me and I believe they happen to be somewhat, in, I don't know, just depicting on the storyline and to the nature of what is going on in this week's Parsha. And if anyone has answers, I'm, I'd love to hear for it. I'd just rather pose the questions and then you guys tell me what you think after at the end, essentially. But um, I kind of wanted to give a brief introduction just to the nature of Torah to begin with. Uh, a lot of people that I kind of spoke to about already kind of know this because I spoke to them about this previously. But it's just the first source sheet. It's just that it's the Radak on Baratheus. It's not just the Radak. I mean, it appears like over a thousand times. I just grabbed the first one and put it in. It appears like all over. And basically, the part that's underlined is Dibra Torah Balash and Bnei The Torah gives over in the nature of man or in the language of man. I like to believe it's in the nature of man as opposed to the language of man. Because, But I just wanted to explain that concept. Um, that means that the Torah speaks to humankind vis-a-vis um, -vis humans, the way that human thinks, the way the human speaks, the way the human feels, and so on and so forth. And it writes things for the human, for the human to be able to understand and articulate those ideas forward. So I think that it's imperative to understand the nature of human beings, and therefore you understand the nature of Torah, because the Torah is speaking to humans. So if you understand humans, then you understand the Torah. Make sense? Great. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. So uh, to understand the nature of humans, so if you look at the nature of actual humans, so I'm talking about the development from infancy, so babies all the way to adulthood, what is it that, um, or how is it that each individual child, baby, so on and so forth, actually develops mentally and um, learns, yeah? Um, so it's the nature of Torah and then understanding the nature of humanity is to understand the nature of Torah. So basically this, so what is it that infants do naturally? If you look at what we do naturally, then you can understand how it is that the Torah is speaking to us, right? Because it's speaking to us in our own natural environment, essentially. So what we do naturally is we learn, but the way that we learn is kind of uniquely different than I think the way that normal people think about it. So essentially, if you take a child and you draw scribbles on a piece of paper, uh, the child may not understand it six months, seven months, eight months, ten months. It's only a certain time that the child starts to recognize, okay, one second, these scribbles make up a dog, right? And that pattern becomes a dog. And he knows that is a dog, and it's not a cat, and it's not a cow, and a dog will always go bark. It won't go moo, right? And the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, and, and the more older you get, the more sophisticated your patterns become. 
So it's intuitive to the child that he recognizes patterns. Does that make sense? The child immediately recognizes patterns, and that becomes intuitive in his nature. And when mommy comes in, right, she gives me a big hug, and she gives me a big kiss, and so on and so forth. When daddy comes in, he hits me. Right? <laughs> Not everyone here is farty, but yeah, you guys get where I'm going. Um, but, th but there's patterns, so to speak. So now if you take that one step further, so now let's talk about a more sophisticated f pattern. So... Um, Every time I get an A on my test, my dad is happy, right? If I get good grades, this pattern keeps up, then eventually I could go to college and so on and so forth. Or if I recognize patterns in markets, depends on different types of markets, whether it's the market in real estate, whether it's the market in you know, stocks and so on and so forth. If I'm able to recognize those patterns, I can manipulate those patterns, right? But we naturally recognize those patterns. Or the patterns within human body and cells, right? This red blood cell will always do this. It will never go fly a kite. Red blood cells don't do that, right? And so on and so forth. White blood cells always do this. DNA always does this. And there's certain patterns that each thing does individually, naturally, and we pick up on that. And science is based on that. Meaning that if the patterns were to switch one day, we're like, well, what happened? Or if the patterns were to always switch, meaning if they would always be random, essentially, then we would always never be able to articulate what is going on. So we sense patterns naturally, and the fact that we see irregularities, that's where our minds are, okay, what's going on here? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. That's an assumption, right? What? The world has patterns. The assumption is, yeah, is the world has patterns, because we're, we, we naturally pick up on patterns in general. So we're assuming that there must be, that there must be order to chaos, essentially, right? And we, we kind of do that intuitively, right? Which is why the argument that, that there, there isn't is that you're going against your own nature, essentially. So again, if the Torah is speaking to the nature of human beings, it's speaking to us to recognize essentially patterns. So if I want to see the Torah, I, I have to recognize it in patterns. That's what I've concluded, is that there must be patterns. So I wanted to just speak about that as the introduction to the Sidra. And the reason why I call it Sidra, not Parsha, is we're going to get into that in a second. But the, it's really called the Sidra. And this week's Sidra comes from the Shoris Seder. But there's a specific order to it. And that it begins where it begins and it ends where it ends. And it's meant to subsume one massive idea. And it's meant to put all of these things together. And you're supposed to see it within a certain order. And that order is going to lead you to the next week's Sidra and so on and so forth. Okay? Now, within each Sidra, there are two graphical differences. There's a Ptucha and a Stuma. I'm, 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 I think we all spoke about this at some point. Is everyone familiar, kind of with this? You familiar with this? Within which, if you look at the crude text of the Torah, what you have is a ptucha and a stuma, which is essentially a ptucha means that the line is open for the remainder of the line. So you'll have Vaidabra Shema Moshe Lamer, and the line is completely open, right? Or you'll have a stuma, which is that you'll have seven words or whatever it is, a nine, cent, a nine little word line, a little letter break, a space, and then you'll have the words continue on the line. So those are the only two graphical differences you have in the Torah itself, the Ptucha and the Stuma. You don't have any Sof Pasuk, you don't have any Trups, which doesn't help the readers, you know, and so on and so forth. You don't even have Rishon Shanish that, that came way later. But the only thing that you actually see that is that, which means that what the Torah is telling you is that you're supposed to see these indifferences and you're supposed to be able to recognize. Now, what are they? We're about to discuss. So the way that I've understood them is the Ptucha must be that we're beginning with an opening of a new idea. And a Stuma is like a subtopic, right? It's part topic of big Ptucha one. Does that make sense? So let's say the Ptucha was dogs, right? Then the subtopic would be Labradoodles. Make sense? 
Okay. That, that's the idea. Obviously, the Torah doesn't write about dogs and labradoodles. It's not a kid's fairy tale. Okay. Unfortunately. Or fortunately, we're not sure yet. <laughs> Maybe at the end of the discussion, we'll find out. So that's that's the idea. So just if you look at the second um, source on the source sheet, so this is one of the Rashi's in Vayikra. So I just let's just go to the highlighted part. So right, right before that, sorry. Vav Mosif al Inyan Rishon Stick. So why are these parsha breaks? Why are there parsha breaks? Litain Revach Lemosha Lihit Bonein Ben Parsha the Parsha to cause space to to give space for Moshe Beno to be able to reflect on what was just given essentially so okay let's say this so the bigger breaks are longer time for Moshe to reflect and the smaller breaks are shorter times for Moshe Rabbeinu to reflect understood mm -hmm. so the idea is that if Moshe Rabbeinu took time to see all of this information step back reflect and right then we call the Homer should take all of this information step back and reflect and so on and so forth. Does that make sense? Yeah. And smaller breaks are the smaller stew. So it's the smaller looking back. But essentially what you're saying is that you're looking at all this, step back. You look at all this, step back. That makes sense? You're meant to see these within certain contexts. Did I lose anybody? We're good? Okay. Okay, so th that's the, basically the way that I want to start this just this discussion, just talking about just the order, what I saw in the order, what doesn't make sense to me in the order. And then after we discuss briefly what the order is, just the parts that just... Forget the order, just the entire storyline doesn't really make sense at all. Okay? Yeah. Sound good? Okay. okay, so before we discuss just the order, let's just begin with discussing the introduction to this week's Parsha. Up until now, or up until two Parshas ago, let's deal with that. Up until two Parshas ago, the way that the Torah has been delivered was that there's Moshe Rabbeinu, and he is an intermediary to God for us. Meaning, God wants to say something to the Jews. He goes, tells Moshe. Moshe tells us. Comes Yitro, and he says, I'm sorry, this is just not going to work anymore. What you need to do is delegate responsibility. And you're going to cause people otherwise to go off. So I need you to delegate responsibility. And what I want you to do is set up chiefs and set up officers. And, and whoever asks a simple question, we'll go to this guy. And then above them, we'll go to here. And then eventually, 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 they'll come to you. But you need to delegate responsibility. Yeah? Which makes it now that no longer is it, or no longer is it going to be that if we have a question, you'll just ask Moshe and he'll ask God, like just one quick telephone to God. If we have a question, we'll go to our courts and we'll find out what the law is. And if we can't figure it out, we'll go to the higher court. And if we can't figure it out, then so it, it basically revolves around us until we literally just can't do it anymore. Then we ask Moshe Rabbeinu. Is that understood? Yeah. So that's the change in Parsis Yitro. But what happens now in Mishpatim is actually kind of uniquely different. So I, I wanted to say, let's let us turn to the like the second page, the first one on the second page on the back side. It says Asher Tasim Lifnehem. So right, let's just scroll down to the part that that's underlined, the last part that's underlined. Lekach Nemar Asher Tasim Lifnehem Kishulchan Haruch Umuchal Lechol Lifneha Adam. It's a set table. So if you look at the first part, right? I'm not going to tell them twice or three times. It has to be like a shulchan aruch. Every set in front of them so they can have it. It's consumable to them. It's theirs. It's retainable. The information is now readily available theirs. So that's just a change between, you know, Parsha's... It's one step higher than Yitro, essentially. You guys get understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's one step higher than Yitro. So that, that's the change in this week's Parsha. So now, if we just discuss now the order of what, what's been going on here, that's fine. So I just wanted to give you guys what the change is first, and then we'll discuss the order of the Parsha. So the order of the Parsha, it's on one of, like, you know, one of these pages. 
so it's like this. So, so the first opening, so let's let's call it, you know, paragraph one. Paragraph one is the Hebrew slave, right? Right? Six years of a Hebrew slave and so on and so forth, and how he has to work and how and so on and so forth. And after that, so, para, so we're, we're going to skip the subparagraphs for now. We're only going to go to the big paragraphs so you guys get the concept of the entire Parsha, and then we'll go into detail. So the second big paragraph speaks about the killer rocks, everyone's favorite Masechda, right? Hmm. right? Number three, right? Paragraph number three, we're talking about borrowed objects. Paragraph number four, lending money and how bad it is to lend money with interest to Jewish people. But if it's for non-Jewish people, stick it to them, right? Number five, right? Number five, we have promises and instructions. Essentially, the promise that I'm going to take you into Eretz Yisrael and this covenant I'm going to have to. And number six is sealing the actual covenant itself. So let, now let's just articulate in our mind again what the idea of the sedra is. It's meant to be in order. So we've gone from mishpatim, whatever they are, and we've discussed so far seemingly four different random categories of mishpatim. They are the Hebrew slave, killer ox, borrowed object, lending money. Then we moved on to promises and instructions, and then finally sealing a covenant, great. Right? I lost you, right? Because I'm lost too. I have no clue what anything has to do with anything in this expression. That's great. So you have mishpatim, but what does it have to do with an actual breed? Meaning, let's say like this. Mishpatim then, let's just follow the flow. Mishpatim flows into a covenant, into a breed. The question is how and why, right? It's telling you obviously that mishpatim are necessary for breed. And then you have to understand that. So the question is that why is it that mishpatim have anything to do with covenant to begin with? Now let's do a little bit, let's do like a little bit in a little more in depth. Okay, so just in case, I'm, I'm sure you guys all just know this Rashi, Ve'ele, so that means that also these were said by Sinai. So how was it, how was it written by, right, by Sinai? Everything was said by Sinai just as well. So in the morning, they got the first half, and in nighttime, they got the Mishpatim, and so on and so forth. It's all in the same day. So if you look at the second page on the back, Vayikach Sefer Abrit, this is the Pasuk in this week's Parsha, Vayikach Sefer Abrit, Vayikra Ba'oznayam, now we're finally taking the Book of Covenant, and he reads it into the ears of the people, Vayimakoh Asher Dibera Hashem, Nasev Anishma, we reach this light, Nasev Anishma, so you, so it's at this point we reach Nasev Anishma, which to me is just weird, because if you're talking about, probably with all due respect to the Torah, some of the most dull concepts, Meaning, I'll tell you like this. As a child, I've always liked the storybooks parts of Torah. Right? We've got the Genesis, and we could, you know, you could talk about all of the different types of creation stories, and whether it's true and fossils or dinosaurs or not, and you get all that in Adam and Eve, and there's a snake, and so on and so forth. And you get to Cain, and you get to Noah, and then to Abimvinu, and the flood, and then go back. To, it's crazy what's going on in those big bar shows. And we get Yosef and his brothers, and then all of a sudden you're like, boom. Ox scoring, you know. It, to me, I was just like, that was my least favorite Masechtas as a child, right? And it's actually interesting because the Magist writes on this, actually on this Pasuk, but the Magist writes that, how do you know that the Af Elunem or Basinai, so the continuation of the Magist says that just, <laughs> the Magist says, how do you know that, so it says, in the morning these were taught and at night these were taught? Because the Pasuk says in Eov, in the morning they, and the morning and in the night they were crushed. So essentially the feeling of mishpatim is like a crushing, you know, and it's like, all right, gosh, I got to do mishpatim, you know, I gotta, it's, it's in-depth, it's very, very in-depth. And I'm not saying that they're not attainable because the Gemara does talk about that if you want to reach a level of chasidus, you're supposed to read Nazikin, you're supposed to read, you know, all the bavas and so on and so forth. That's the level of chasidus, so 
I'm not holding by chesed. I'm just telling you. I, I recognize that that's what it means, and obviously I'm not there yet. But okay, that's the idea. But essentially, what's weird to me here is that this week's parsha we reached nasa v'nishma, bunch of laws, and it's on this we say nasa v'nishma. But at last week's parsha by parsha Yisro, that wasn't said. By parsha Yisro, where, where the actual beginning of Maman Harsina is, the introduction to Maman Harsina, that just wasn't said. So I'm just bothered by, it. just why is that? That makes sense. Yeah. You guys following what I'm saying yeah. there? Mm-hmm. I just to me that's just very very weird. Why, why is it here? It's clearly telling you that something about mishpatim equals brit, and without mishpatim you don't have brit, and it's something about mishpatim that creates this element of nasa v'nishma, which to me would be the complete inverse. I might have said it on the first part of the day, but not on the second part when you're giving me all these laws. You speak about nasa v'nishma as like an element. What do you mean? Uh, Nasa Vanishma is the darga that B'nai Yisrael reached, um, like Chazal say, like Malachim. Essentially, the level is a it's, a, it's a unique relationship of love, where you don't have to say, okay, whatever you say, I'll do. It's just what you'll say is, Nasa Vanishma. Whatever you say, I'll do, and I understand that what you're telling me must be beneficial to the relationship, and then I'll go out and articulate and find out. Does that kind of make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's just like... Just the beginnings of the parsha in the whole. Now, if you look at the actual order itself, and I just go back to the actual order, and then I'm probably going to get miscombobulated. But if you go back to the actual order, if you're breaking it down, let's start with number one. It just doesn't flow. Subtopic A, B, C, they just don't flow. So you'll talk about a Hebrew maidservant, and then you'll go to manslaughter, murder, injuring a parent, kidnapping, cursing a parent. Uh, why don't just put the parents cursing and drink together? Okay. Then you have personal injury, killing of slaves. We just talked about slaves in the beginning. Why are you talking about it now? Personal damages. Uh, we already talked about personal injury on number G. So why is it I? And then you have injury to slaves, but that should be all the way back up with A and right? Right? Mm-hmm. With the big topic, Hebrew slave, Hebrew maidservant, injuring slaves, killing slaves, H. It's just very, very weird. If you look, it's the entire thing like that. You can do the same thing with number two. Kill a rock, then it goes to hole in the ground. Kill a rock, then hole in the ground. Yeah. And then, damage by goring. Shouldn't damage by goring be with killer rocks? I'm not going to spend your time wasting your time doing this yet. You'll have the map. You'll be able to ask all the questions. That you, it's seemingly, if you're telling me an order, and you're trying to tell me a structure, the structure just makes no sense. Right? And like I said, I'm not providing any answers. I don't, I just don't know. I mean... There's some ideas, but right now they're just... Okay. So, yeah. So then if you turn to... Um, huh? Good night. <laughs> yeah. Great job. If you, if you turn to this page right here, uh, I think it's page number three officially, but, you know, the actual second page. It's page number three officially. The title there is Mishnah Torah, Hilchot Mi'ila, Chet Chet. Essentially, the idea is like this. I, I want to speak about what the idea of Mishpatim is in general. Right, because it's obviously part of the mishpatim. So, what is a mishpat? So, obviously, we know that there's two different types of laws. There's a chok and a mishpat. Now, let's listen what the Rambam paskins lehalacha as a mishpat. So, if you scroll down to the part where I bolded it for you, I say like this. This is what the Rambam writes: So, mishpatim hein hamitzvot shita'aman galui. So, mishpatim they are the mitzvot, the commandments that their reasonings, let's call it, are galui, are apparent. They're obvious. Like the reasons behind them are obvious. And and the benefit in the world is Yadua, is known. Meaning you can, like this. They're obvious and they're sensible. Obvious and sensible. So that's what the definition so far of Mishpatim are. Which means, one, 
it's obvious to you that you can recognize let's well, like this it's sensible in the sense that if you didn't have it written you would have figured it out yeah it's probably better not to kill somebody in society because if i kill him then he's going to kill me and then he's going to have a whole longer you know his brother's going to come after my brother and right if everyone an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind essentially you guys are familiar with that concept right right it's just not going to work. So we could figure it out. If I steal, then it's not going to be good. He'll steal from me. And I always constantly be worrying about stealing. So we'll set up policemen and so on and so forth. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. Because how you can have a society, we can't work together if everyone's stealing, if everyone's cheating. What? It's a system. So the things that are obvious to you in the sense that you can recognize their value, right? And you can see that their benefit in the world itself, right? You can recognize, okay, this is the reason why I'm being commanded to do this. It must be for X, Y, and Z. And I can immediately see this beneficial into the word. So the way that I like to describe it is, again, it's obvious. And the fact that it's, what was the last word I said? Beneficial. Beneficial. No, it was, System. Sensible. System. sensible. Sensible, 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 sensible. Sensible, sensible, sensible. Okay, sensible in the sense that you could sense it, right? You can, you have five senses. You could sense why it's, okay. Now, if you turn the page again to... Look at this Gemara and Yuma, it says like this. Gemara and Yuma says like this. Tanarabanan, et mishpotai tasu, right? My, my mishpatim you shall do. Devarim she'ilmali lo nichtavu, dinhu shichtavu. Had they not been written, it's obvious that they would have been written. Meaning, okay, so that's another correlation to what mishpatim is. It's obvious in the sense that, okay, we don't need a Torah to command us. That's what I meant originally by obvious. And we don't need a Torah to command us of mishpatim because had it not been commanded, it's obvious we would have done this. What society could function without mishpatim? Make sense? Yeah. yeah? So it's obvious we would have done it. So mishpatim are again obvious and sensible. You can sense the reasoning behind it and it's obvious that we need it. Yeah? We didn't need to be commanded, essentially. So if so, then why would we be commanded? Who says we don't... I'm not getting why we didn't need it, because I would have said we need it. Because the Gemara says that if they weren't written, we yeah. would have written them. Meaning we would have come who, to these on our own. we? We would have. The people. Society, the Jewish people. Society. And Just and like... Moshe, you're saying... God gave it to, over to us. God gave it over to us. But the Gemara is saying that had not God given it over to us, we would have figured out it's not good to steal. It's not good to murder. It's not good to rape. It's not good to pillage. It's not good to kill. So whatever you want to discuss, you know? Put an insert blank here. It's good to have... That's what the Gemara says. Okay. And we would have not done it because of that? Or would have just figured it out that it's wrong? Well, there's plenty of wrong things that people do. Would we actually not have done We it? would have set up a society yeah. like today. I mean, even think. even the Torah, there's still people that are doing things that the Torah says not to do. That are right, no, no, I guess the, I guess yeah. the way, better way to say this percentage-wise would have been much worse. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so now, um, again, the same thing is in the Medrash Tankum, right? Right, if they weren't written, then they're obvious that we would have been written. So if we turn the page to the Ramban, I, I just I find this so fascinating because the Ramban in the opening of this week's parsha is discussing the nature of Mishpatim. And the way that he writes on the nature of Mishpatim is just it's just um, he's writing Asher Tasim Lifnehem, right? The Pasik says Mishpatim Asher Tasim Lifnehem. And these are the statues that you shall place before them. So he's like, okay, before them, we know who you're talking to, so why are you mentioning before them? Must be you're coming to exclude somebody who's not getting it before them. Right? Mm -hmm. So let's listen to what he writes. 
Now, it's just so beautiful. You have to turn the page though, because for some reason I left in the longest quote ever and only need like two lines. But you can read it on your own. <laughs> it starts from the actual bold. You place this before God and not in front of the non-Jewish nations. They're not allowed to have these in terms of why. What does that mean? And a person, and not in front of a person who's going to judge, not based on Torah law. So let's see what he talks about. And then, therefore, he's called the Hedyot. If he's not judging from the Torah, he's a Hedyot. You're unable to come before Hedjot, just like you're unable to come before Goyim in the matter of courts and laws. I'll explain. Even though, so let's say, your usher, you're not allowed to go to a non-Jewish court because he doesn't give you court based on Torah law. Even though you know Shehuyadun lo kehogen. He will judge you appropriately. So if you say to him, what's the law? Did you steal a sheep? Yeah, you got to pay back four. Did you steal an ox? You got to pay back five. He'll tell you, Cahogan, you still can't go there. Why isn't that based on Jewish law then? Good question. That's exactly my question. Good question. Good question. I'm sorry. Mishpatim are meant to be obvious and sensible. In the fact that had they not been written, I could have figured it out myself. But now you're telling me if a non-Jewish guy does figure out himself, I can't go to him? Why not? That's not what it says here. I think it's what Rashi says. I think it's what Rashi says. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? See, you got the question, right? Even if everything was Even wrong, if he's 100% right. Because he's Jewish. Huh? Even if it's the exact same sock in the Jewish court. Even if he's Jewish, if it's two people that are Jewish. Not right. Isn't that wild? If he tells you, listen, you're not allowed to steal just like, okay. Yeah, if Rabbi Winselberg sitting on the Hosha Mishpakol and they come out with other psak halachas and they come out, boom, 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 Mishchaya for X, Y, and Z, and then you have three Joe Schmoes, the priest from across the street, sitting with his three friends, and they tell you the exact same sakalacha, it's usher for you to go to them, even though they told you the exact same thing. Isn't that weird? Let's look at the Rambam Upaskins, this halacha. Turn the page. Kol HaMekabel Sheva Mitzvot. So this is the Rambam in Hilchot Melachim and Mechamos. This is the Rambam in the, in the last part of Mishnah Torah. He writes about the kings and their wars. Kol HaMekabel Sheva Mitzvot V'nizhar La'asot La'asotan. Anybody who accepts upon himself the seven Noahide laws. Harezen Mechaside Umot HaOlam. He can be one of the righteous Gentiles. Very good for him. He accepts the seven mitzvahs from Noah. When can he be amongst the righteous Gentiles? He actually has chelik olam haba. Jewish people can have chelik olam haba. He has to do it because God commanded him to do it through the Torah. Yeah? Okay. He has to accept it. And do them. He has to know this whole lineage. God commanded him in the Torah through Moshe, and it was commanded to B'nai Noach before we even got it. Fine. Let's say the guy did it without this. If he figured it out himself, just like a normal Mishpat. He figured it out himself. 
What's the case there? He's not a ger toshav. He's not a he's not a pious individual. He's not even a smart man. I'm sorry. He figured out all the seven Noah. One to believe in God. He can't have any other gods. Don't, don't. Uh, I'm sorry. What? Isn't that a mishpat? No, you brought them. He doesn't agree they were commanded by God. He doesn't know. He just doesn't do them. No, 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 no. He just doesn't do them because they were commanded by God. He does them because he figured it out. I'm sorry. The nature of Mishpatim that we just spoke about according to the Rambam two seconds ago was what? That you could figure it out and it's sensible. It's obvious that it's sensible. Right? You still can't go there. You can't go to the court. That's our question. You can't go to the court even though they figured it out. And if they were to figure out themselves, what happened? What happened to the whole nature of Mishpat? Does that make sense? Yeah. You guys with me? Yeah, it's an amazing question. You guys get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So what's the difference? Okay. Now, this is uh, this is the Mishnah that I that I just uh, maybe it connects to Nasev and Ishma. Maybe that we have to hear it first, and then when you do it, you understand it. But it's it's because you were first doing it, meaning they understood it, and that's why they're doing it. But we got it. We have to do it. It's a mitzvah. So what you're telling me is like this. What you're telling me is a seemingly, with all due respect, a paradox. The nature of Mishpatim is that you can figure it out. But you're only able to do it if you were once told. Which means to tell me that God has to tell me, and then I can figure it out. So what's the point of me figuring it out if it has to come from God anyways? Because it's easier to do something when you know what you're doing. I'm saying I, I would have the same law as you do. Let's say you figured it out, and I didn't. I was told. Right? Yeah? Are we both doing the same thing? No. Why not? If I'm doing something that I was commanded to do and I don't understand what I'm doing, then it's a lot more of blind faith. No, no, you understand what you're doing. You just so, com- so that's that's, I'm saying that's that's adding the fact that I know what I'm You don't kill because God told you not to kill and you can understand that it'll ruin society. I don't kill because I know it's gonna ruin society. Okay. Maybe not we because God told me. We weren't commanded because it's gonna ruin society, we were commanded and then it was understandable. The reasoning for us that was understandable is because it's gonna ruin society. I understand. I'm just asking, but if the nature of mishpat is it's meant to be obvious and sensible, right? Then what's the point of having it being taught to us specifically by God? Why is it predecessing that? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because then if it doesn't come logical and sensible to us, then what? Then we don't do anymore? No, we still do it. If if one day, okay, this doesn't make any sense, then what? We're going to stop? No, then it's not a mitzvah. It goes as a mitzvah or a cloak or... The nature of mishpat is that it is sensible, not that it's not. Maybe the reason they can't go to a non-Jewish court, even if they have the exact same thing, because they thought of it and understood it, and this makes sense. But if one day it doesn't make sense, then they're just going to stop doing it. It makes sense. But even our thing, even if it doesn't make sense... Meaning ours is objective. Objective. Okay, and therefore? Therefore that... It's eternal. And it, will, it can never leave. The judge, it's, it's a judgment. It's always there. It doesn't, doesn't go away. And a non-Jewish one, if, if one day okay. it decides it's not, it doesn't make sense to us, they're not going to judge like that anymore. Okay, so I... Alright, let's, let's, let's open this up. Let's open this up. Let's look at the next mission and we'll open it up together, okay? This mission is in Sanhedrin. You guys are right. Just let's open this up together. All of Israel have a chalik to Olam Haba. It's a beautiful Mishnah. Everyone should be familiar with this. And even though we haven't mentioned who does have a chalik, because everyone has a chalik, but these are the ones that don't have a chalik. 
Haomer ain't chiatamitam min ha Torah. A person who says he, there is no trias amesim min ha Torah. So Rashi makes the point, and I don't know why I didn't bring it down. But Rashi makes the point, and if you want, we could all pull it up together right now. I'd love to pull it up, but I find that if it's rude, if I'm on my phone in front of you guys. But the idea is that Rashi pulls up on that. He says, I'm sorry. It's not that he doesn't believe in Trias Mason. He just doesn't believe in Trias Mason in the Torah. So what's the difference? So maybe you could say that in what you're saying, but when it comes to Trias Mason, what are you going to say? Yeah. He just believes in Trias Mason. He's no Alam Haba. But he doesn't believe in... It's not that he doesn't believe in Tehiyah's amazing. I believe we're going to be resurrected by God. Not just not written in the Torah. But I believe it. Sorry, no chalik lam haba. Shoot the guy dead in the alley. Nah. If it is in the Torah, then how can you believe it's not in the Torah? I mean, what does that mean? Sorry? Uh, no, he just doesn't believe it's from the Torah. He doesn't believe the source is the Torah. But it's there. No, no. He didn't say that, that, that God would do it. He doesn't believe that the source is in the Torah. He believes the source might be secondary. Or might, that's that maybe the, the, the primary source is somewhere else. Whatever it is, it's just not mentioning that the primary source is Torah. So I'll tell you what you guys are articulating, and this is already going to begin an answer which I didn't want to discuss, only because it's a little difficult to articulate. The reason why I didn't want to discuss it is because I had a hard time coming up with an example. I really wish I had an example. But essentially so far, do we get the questions on the whole Parsha? So we'll leave everything aside. We have a ton of questions on the order. We have a ton of questions on the fact that this doesn't make sense in terms of Brit, why Mishpatim are Brit. We don't understand why these are specifically unique to Nasev and Nishma, nothing else. And then we have the problem seemingly here now, which is what we're dealing with in the moment, is that if a Mishpat is meant to be obvious and sensible, then why not if I sense it and it's obvious to me and I come up with it with my own rationale, is it no longer good? Yeah? So I can try to answer that question. I can try. I can try. I'd rather leave you guys with the question, though. What do you guys want to do? Reiterate the question first. Reiterate the question again. The question should be something along this fold. We've had multiple proofs so far that if a person comes to the realization of a belief or a belief system, but it begins and ends in his own head, meaning he thought it up, he understood it, and he believes without a shadow of doubt that it's true. But its source wasn't the Torah. Or its source wasn't God, Torah, Moshe, right? Seven Noahide laws and so on and so forth. He doesn't get the merit for following in those steps. Right. Now the real deeper question is something that we haven't... Is the paradox. Is it either Mishpatim or obvious? Or they're given over, and right? either I'm allowed to figure them out, or they're meant to be given over, and I shouldn't be figuring them out. I can figure them out, but they have nothing to do with one or the other. Yeah. It's nice, but it's nothing to do with the mishpat. Yeah. 
Did you get the question though? Mm-hmm. You got the question. Did everyone get the question? Mm-hmm. I lose you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you good. Okay. So, um, I think we should start with the worst example I could possibly give first. Can we think about it for a second? Yeah. Do that. Can I pose it? <coughs> what? Can I pose something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, please, please, please. <coughs> so. It sounds like we can live in a world and there would be, let's pretend, if everything was able to run functionally, perfectly, without God telling us anything, we would have the exact same world. The, the only factor is that God is not interacting with us. He didn't tell us to do it. We're not, we're not doing it with God's input. So if we take the two worlds side by side... What's the difference? Meaning, I think if you take the the side by side, you lose sight of the entirety. You have a world where everything runs smoothly with amazing concepts and amazing things with no direct influence from something real. You have no direct um, response and no communication to a and no, no relationship to, to an entity that actually makes <clears throat> the whole reason for living in the first place worthwhile. You can live and you can enjoy and you can do things properly but there's no picture. There's nothing there. It's, it's, just, an, it's just an idea that you go through and a world to, to live in. So when, when you incorporate an idea of living, but without the main purpose, which I haven't really touched upon yet, but without the main purpose, you 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 miss the, the whole purpose of what Hashem is trying to do in the first place. So when you, when you talk about going to the courts and they're telling you the exact same thing, and of course, they're telling you the exact same thing, except they're eliminating the aspect of <clears throat> their interaction of God. When you li- eliminate the interaction of God, then you don't have an aspect of true essence. You don't have an aspect of, of reality. You sort of have an aspect of what's fair and what's good, but not of what's purposeful. I think that's what we're trying to touch upon, yeah. Yeah. I think everyone's. I think everyone can agree with Jackie. Essentially, like this. Um, That's the concept of break, really. That you have skin in the game, of being part of reality. Yeah. That's why they create break. Wait, if God wasn't there, there wouldn't be a purpose to live. Essentially, I think the the idea would be like this. Um, can I pull up the Rashi quickly? So we know that that's not evident that when people think of it themselves, that if there was no God, then people should do the same thing. Because right now, Jews have God, non-Jews, they don't. And it's very similar, but they have a lot of the same laws, but clearly we're on a higher level and don't 
was much murder, just stealing, whatever it is that. What does it mean? We also so let, have, let's we let's also let's laws, let's talk about that though. Let's talk about that because you're you're hitting the nail on the head. Let's talk about that. I just want to I just want to open up your words with three words in Rashi. Mm -hmm. So that Rashi and this Mishnah right here says something that's just really, really, really beautiful. I just love the way that he strikes, you know. Listen to his words, he says like this. On that Mishnah, he says, in regards to the fact that it's not that the person doesn't believe in Torah. Sorry, it's not that the person doesn't believe in Tchayas Amesim, he doesn't believe in Tchayas Amesim in a Torah. Right, which is exactly summing up our entire questions that we've had up until this point. Rashi is like this. Ma lanu vele umnato. That's it, three words. What is that last word? Vele umnato. His belief system. What What does our systems of belief have anything to do with it? So I'll explain. You're saying that we are somewhat similar in terms of the yeah, fact that we share. Of the same laws. Yeah, don't but kill, then, but then, kill. okay. So they say, "Don't kill, don't steal," but if it begins and ends in your own head, then you become the arbiter of reality, mm -hmm. and it's only a matter of time when abortions become just like opening a soda. Does that make sense? Seventy years ago, if you were to do an abortion, you would be killed. It's only a matter of time where rights have opened up and it's my body and I have the right to choose and so on and so forth. And an abortion just become like opening up a soda. Oh yeah, I had an abortion today. No one thinks twice. I'm sorry, you just killed a baby. No. No, it's my body. It's my body. I can do what I want. What we're saying essentially is like this. If there's no backdrop of reality in which you can... uses a backdrop <laughs> if there's no external stimuli then the answers always begin and ending in your own head right then they're never real to begin with so now you may think and sound exactly like us but you have nothing to do with us because you don't share the same world does that make sense yeah because the second it comes not accessible to you you stop exactly exactly that's not mishpah anymore huh that's not mishpah anymore that was essentially the question what Essentially, sorry, I'm sorry. Essentially, a abortion or so. If I would be able to apply logic in its truest form, I would be able to maintain. Um, I would be able to maintain integrity to something that's correct. Can you please explain? Sure. I mean, what you're saying is that when it starts becoming not understandable, not sensible anymore, that's already delving into chok. That's not delving into. No, it's not, not sensible. It's sensible to them in these certain terms. It's but sensible would to not to murder use, in these terms. But if I would be able to use. But pure logic again. It's not pure logic. Which is basically what we're saying. Mishpat no. is something that is it's understandable not pure logic. to the You head. only have pure logic because there is a pure. So then Does that make sense? Because there's a backdrop. But that's because there's a world. Not necessarily because God a has a relationship to us. God doesn't have to command it to us. God just had to set a world where there is this concept of pure in the world. No, because then we would be the arbiters of what it means to do not kill. And you're right. We logically do not kill. And we logically do not steal. But it's not stealing if he's dying in two minutes, anyway. No, but that's already. No, I, I think I think that we're we're saying Torah. Saying... We're not saying mipi or mipi We're saying mipi Torah, which we know Torah is horaat chaim. That it's like it's a codex of reality, in which um, when you have a codex of reality, then 
this person might have the same exact conclusion, but at the end of the day, the reasoning, reasoning of how he came to that conclusion is actually, it's not that he's using pure logic because then they he's not coming in from a context of codex of reality he's coming in from this makes sense for society but that's arbitrary because society could change and it's arbitrary so in fact it, it, so like yeah if you uh, if he would come with pure logic then he's just coming in from because of the torah so the question doesn't even start because if it was pure logic it would be from torah to, to sum up what we're saying essentially is like this is that it's clear that the information itself doesn't stand on its own. What defines the information must be the context in which it's coming from. Does that make sense? We could both have the exact same information. But the Constitution doesn't look like a Torah. Exactly. But if I have a different context in which I approach the information, although it's the exact same information, it will completely be different. So now, let's pull it back to what I wanted to say originally. Is that we have a seder to the parshiot. It's not just the information. It's the order of the information that's important. It's the context of the information. So when you see things that you think would be in a certain order, should be in a better order, and if you're writing it, it's obvious that it's not just about the information. It's about the way the information is being presented to you. That makes all the difference in the world. So lehalacha, if your ptuchot and stumot are off, are missing, are out of order, your Sefer Torah is pasalagam. Same words. Same words. It's just a different context of information. That makes sense? And that's exactly what Mishpat's about. It's sensible. It's obvious. But if it comes from a different context, it's a different world entirely. And it could take you down to become Jewish or Nazi. We're furthering mankind. Right? It's the same way that you have Rashi's Koim Yisrael and Rashi's Koim Amalek. It's two people sharing the same vision, essentially, just coming from two different contexts. It's Reshit and Reshit. So you're saying the reason why it was ordered in this odd way is just to keep this idea? No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that always, always, that's how it is. It's not unique to this. I'm just bringing that out here. It's always the reason why the information is being given in such a context is because it's the context that matters along with the information. Because the information is not solipsistic. It's not... It doesn't exist on its own. It's, you can't tell unless there's context. And I can show you many, many different chazals and so on and so forth. And the Gemara says, just point to that. I should give you one. The Gemara says like this, sam Moshe. So chazal said that's a very funny word, sam. Because it could either be sam ha-mavet or sam ha-chaim. That's what the Gemara says there. It can either be an elixir of life or an elixir of death, which means that the same Torah that people point to when they say that Pasuk, that same Torah that you're pointing to can either kill you or it can give you life. The same thing. So what's the difference? The context in which you see it. If you're using it like a crown to get bigger, to get known, to get famous, to get uh, security, to put other people down, whatever it is people do for the evils of holding on to Torah. As the Navi says, Tov se Torah lo yidauni, those who grab Torah, they don't know me. That's what God writes. Those who grab it, they don't know me. If you're using it like that, then it becomes a sum of it, it'll kill you. But if you use it differently, if you use it in the right context, Lishma. Lishma, as the Rambam writes, is for its sake, for nothing else. Just to just to be involved in it. That's my context. 
I have no ulterior motives. I have no other ideas, no other issues of grandeur. I just want to be involved in reality, for reality's sake. Then it's nasa lo samachayim. Then it can be an elixir of life for you. That make sense? It's the context that defines the information. All right. Thanks, boys. Yeah. Um, it says that um, you don't share in Olam Haba if if you believe that there's no um concept in the Torah of of um Right. Where do we hold this resource for that? Ah, good question. It goes on to discuss it and later on in the Gemara. Mm -hmm. On top of my head, I can't remember where. I'll try to find it for you, okay? <coughs> try to find it for you. I'm not sure if it makes sense. I didn't say the Rambam interprets the Shema. The Rambam interprets the Shema? Yeah. It's the definition of the Shema he writes in, um, I can tell you where he writes it, but the way he writes it is Lishma, for its sake. No ulterior motive. Like for the sake of doing God's will? Just being involved. Yeah, being involved being involved because it's reality and God's ultimate reality so yeah I, uh, I'm not trying to make a buck I'm not trying to sound smart I'm not, obviously I am but I'm saying like you know what a person should be and I'm not trying to sound smart I'm not trying to for the sake of the mitzvah does that mean for the sake of the mitzvah and get, to get the reward no that's an ulterior motive he writes but it's part of mitzvah no it's not the reward's not part of the mitzvah. Because like this, he, he writes like this, he writes like this. Clearly, like, if you were to just associate, just change the word reward with something else. So you have a little child. You say, if you learn, I'll give you a little candy. Right? Child gets older, he recognizes, okay, candy's not what I want anymore, Dad. I want some clothes. So if you learn, I'll buy you American Eagle. Okay. Okay, Dad, that doesn't work anymore. If I'll learn, then you give me money. Because... What's more, what's better than clothes? Money. Yeah. Okay, and so on and so forth. So this is the same thing. So if you learn, you give me schar. So it's just a greater reward. So you're right. So you're clearly not learning to learn. You're clearly learning for... So essentially, with all due respect, you're a high-paid prostitute. To get closer to God. What? Get closer to God. Get closer to God. Get closer to God. That's not an ulterior motive. But by doing it, get closer to God. That's great. That's the so what are you doing to get closer to God? Why is that not a thing? No. Why not? Why is that different? Because, you sh because if God's well, reality... Schar well, in Olam Haba, why is that different? No, no, no. Schar in Olam Haba isn't, isn't the sense that it's closer. I know, I know. You have to be Right. I'm saying, but I'm, I'm enjoying this moment not for any ulterior motive or moment to come. It's for this moment. You see what I'm saying? It's not for a moment to come. It's for this moment. It's for this moment that I'm engulfed and I'm engulfed and I'm actual and one with reality, essentially. That's the only reason why. Because otherwise it always begins and ends in my own head. It's always going to begin and end with your own head. It'll always begin and end with your own head. That's the problem. Truth because it's truth. In fact, the Rambam writes on that Mishnah. So everyone says, like, you should Ove the Baruch Hu al Manat le Pras, right? Or so on and so Or Shalom al Manat le Pras, right? The Rambam Paskins, you should be Ove the Kodesh Baruch Hu on the condition that you won't get a reward. Like, I'm doing this if you do not give me a reward. That's the only way I'm doing it. That's the level that he Paskins. That's the Shalom? That's the Don't give it to me. That's the only way I'm doing it. 
I'm in my head like I'm only doing it if if I'm doing it. Like that's just uh, that's how we are. Oh, me, not we. I'm sorry. It's like a pretty depressing way to do something. Like I'm doing this so that I could like do it. No, no. Meaning I would do it, and if I'm getting rewarded, then thank God. Because that's how, that's the way that you tell that you're actually in it for it. So you do this one time. It's and I, it's like this, like, like you ever, you ever helped out your mother not because you wanted to get something out of it, just because you wanted to help her. And then she's like, here's five. <laughs> Never. Right? And then she's like, here's five. Here's five bucks. No, she's like, here's five bucks. Right? Go to the store. Like, ma, like I didn't do it for the five bucks. <laughs> I don't want your five bucks. Like I just, I just wanted to help you. I don't want to get whipped by dad. True, one hundred percent. But then it's a little schmuck. If you're doing it for not, so don't get that bear. That's also the What? If you're doing it so you don't get that bear, is that also the You're saying the inverse. Yeah, yeah. Meaning not getting whipped by dad. That doesn't. Be... No. <laughs> That's not the schmuck. That's not I'm doing it because I recognize that it's not reality. It's still not objective, though. Right, I recognize that it's not reality. That's the reason why I'm not, it's not doing objective? it. It's not objective. That's always ulterior motive. It's just candy in the universe. So you don't care about the punishment, then it's, then it's going to change. I'm sorry. But what's going to change that you're not going to do anymore? If you don't care about the punishment. What do you mean? I'm sorry, I lost the question. Like, if, if, you, if, it's, if it's for ten bucks, if you don't care about ten bucks, okay, then you're not going to do it. Right, if it's helping mother and you get ten bucks, if I don't need ten bucks for a millionaire, I'm not. There's no reason for me to do it unless right? you want to do the right. action. Right. Right. But for the punishment, if you don't do it, you're gonna get whipped. You know, the only reason you wouldn't do it is if you don't care about getting whipped. No, but that's still not the schmuck. No, the I wouldn't do it. Right. It doesn't There's, matter what the action is. It could be jumping up and down and doing handstands, but like huh? doesn't matter. You just don't want to get whipped. I think the difference is, that's the difference between pras and schar. Pras is the external, externally what will happen. So I'm going to get the five dollars, or I'm going to not get whipped. Or the schar is the direct outcome. So I'm doing it for the direct. I'm doing it because of because of the relationship with mother. Nothing meaning, and that is by definition pleasurable and and thing. But I'm not doing it because of the money or because of what so he's saying is the rambam essentially right is that. The schar of the mitzvah is the mitzvah, which is like catch twenty two. Like meaning, doing it lishma gets you the schar. If you don't do lishma, you don't get schar. No, if you're not no, doing it lishma, no, 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 you're not no, doing no. it. It's, it's, it's just it's just that the fact that you can actually enjoy it. You can really be Schar's involved. It's it's the Schar's involvement. The yeah. yeah. Thank you, everyone, for your time. If you have more questions, I'm happy to stay and ask. And who cares this or not? What? Who cares this small or not? Well, what do you mean? Who cares? It, if I if I don't do it this small according to this definition, I don't doesn't count at all. No, 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 no. So that's his next point. He says that please, yeah. He says that the nature of Avram Avinu was to only be osik in the nature of lishma, which was always a love, and he was called God's lover for this reason. And so then, thank you so much. You have to pour for you. And and he says now it's depressing to an individual who thinks about this because he says to himself well then what's the point of doing it yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not engaging in love so what's the point of doing it because the the starting premise is that the person won't do that we're wired for these things 
right? What would the outcome be? We're wired for that. So he says, so, so what you need to do is when you are doing it, low lishma, because it's obvious what everyone does. It's a candy, and then it becomes clothes, and then it becomes money, and then it becomes power, and then it becomes whatever. Is it the entire time that I understand that's why I'm doing it, but that's not the end. When it begins and ends there, then you're lost. Right? You understand yeah. what I'm saying? But even if that is the end, does the mitzvah not count? Uh, it's the actual difference. So it, if, if it begins and ends like that, then yeah, it does not count. And that's not my words. I mean, what do you mean <clears throat> count or not count? Scar. It's not a natural it's mitzvah. So, so I mean, at the end of the day, it's for us, right? So I'll explain. So you're not going to get the benefit of that. It's not engaging in love. So why would you want to do it like that? Sorry. It, it, it's basically like this. You know you're going to get a car, $100 in car, whatever it means. What does that mean? No, you're not getting $100 in car. There's no such thing. There is. You're you're not, no, you're not getting rewards. It's you're engaging in love. Meaning it's for you. So there's a misconception because when you say Olam Haba, you think of a world to come. I'm saying... Right? Yeah. Okay. So just there's a misconception because Olam Haba isn't that. Olam Haba isn't a world to come, at least Lafi the Rambam. Olam Haba, the way that he writes, is the Matsui Ata. Now, with an ayin. It exists now. This is Olam Haba. No. No, no, no. There is an existence of Olam Haba. The problem is that. The problem is that human beings are dimensionally challenged. Which means that we limit ourselves based on the dimensions that we exist, and we have a lack of ability to extend so beyond. beyond this world and in all of us. Exactly. So that's that's the that's the okay. So, so that's the dream of Yaakov Avinu. Essentially, that the gateway to Olam Haba is rooted in this world. The dream of the latter mm-hmm. is that the gateway to Olam Haba is rooted in this world. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That's his dream. But still, scar is that a thing that you get, and it's like it's like some sort of different type of currency you could use, like whatever that means. But like it's like Bitcoin. It's sharing. Scar? It's just sharing. Sharing. Well, as much as you shared, that's how much you share. Does that make sense? So the last time I talked about talking about in terms of relationship. Yeah. yeah. The schar of the mitzvah is the mitzvah, meaning as much as you share in the relationship, you get shared in the relationship. The action is in, get is an action of involvement. Well, what is that? What is that that you get shared back? Huh? What is that that you get shared back? What the is, ultimate pleasure in? essentially is relationship. No, 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 what is it? Relationship with the Almighty. Schar is a relationship. Lishma right. means yeah. relationship. Exactly, lishma for its sake. Meaning, it's like when you plow a field, not the more you plow, the more you're learning to the sake of growth. learning because of love Hashem and Hashem, right? It's directly connected yeah. to that. So, for instance, you could do you could put on tefillin two ways. You could put on tefillin because Daddy tells me to, and if I don't do it, I'm a bad person, and if I don't do it, then I'm an evil human being, and so on and so forth. Or I can do it even though I don't understand what the purpose is, but I understand that it must be a relationship of love. 
it must be given over to me in the context of love, and I have to do it out of love, and I do it out of love. Mm -hmm. And you can recognize that those two different things, those two same actions, are completely two different actions. Does that make sense? Yeah. It ties back into what we were saying beforehand. Now you can do the exact same thing, just with two different contexts. So, 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 so I'll explain this last Mishnah because it's exactly on this Mishnah. Kol Yisraelim chelik le'amobah, right? Rabbi Chanina ben Akashaber, Ratzak Kadosh Baruch Hu lizakot et Yisrael. Kadosh Baruch Hu wanted to give merit to Yisrael. Vefich achir balahem Torah and mitzvot. Therefore, he gave them many Torah and mitzvot. So let's just break that down. Rabbi Chanina ben Akashaber, Rabbi Chanina ben Akashaber used to say. God wanted to give merit to B'nai Israel. He wanted to give them merit, opportunity, schar, whatever you want to call it. And therefore, he created many Torah and many mitzvahs. So the way the Rambam interprets it, which I believe is the most brilliant read based on the Gemara, which is like so brilliant. But essentially, he says like this. Idiots read it. And I'm, I'm a part of the idiots because that's how I read it. But the idiots read it is that God wanted to give merit to Israel, therefore he gave him a lot of Torah, so more Torah, 613 mitzvos. Of the 613 mitzvos, there's thousands and thousands of different ways to do it, and extrapolations, and manners, and times, and so on and so forth. So, the more mitzvos I do, the more brownie points I get. Yeah? So, the more fish, the more hoops I jump through, the more fish I get in. So God's a zookeeper, and the more hoops that he tells you to jump in, the more fish you get at the end. Yeah. So he said that's the way the idiots read it. The way that you really are supposed to read it is, He wanted to give them merit, so he gave them a lot of Torah and mitzvot, so maybe they'll do one correctly. One. Open up the opportunity. I'll give you so many opportunities, so you could do one. And if you do one, then you're one. That's it. You enter into one? Yeah, all about. All about. If you do one just for the sake of it. Exactly. Then how do you know if you're not about also? Should I tell you the Gemara? I guess. You love, this, you love this story. You know the story? Yeah. So this is a Gemara in Bodhisattva. So the Gemara goes like this. And anybody that wants to leave, I don't want to hold you guys, okay? But basically the Gemara goes... So the Gemara is between Rabbi Chenani bin Tarajon and Rabiosi. Rabbi Hanani bin Shiradion and Rabiosi both lived in the times of the Romans. And Rabbi Hanani bin Shiradion went to go visit his Rebbe Rabiosi. Now keep in mind who we're speaking about. Both these guys are being spoken about in the Gemara. Okay? They're greater than I am. We can, we can obviously say that. Right. Okay. So Rabbi Hanani bin Shiradion, right? He went to go visit Rabiosi when Rabiosi got sick. Keep in mind, it's also in the time of the Romans. The Romans were very, very not nice to the Jews. Okay? So he says to Rabiosi, Rabiosi, how you doing? So on and so forth. And Rabiosi says to him, Hananya, I heard that you are giving Shiram and Torah Berabim in public. And you know that the Romans kill over this stuff. Yeah? And you have a safer Torah, Munach Lecha Bechaykecha. You have a safer Torah hidden under your, you know, you carry it around with you everywhere you go. What are you doing? Don't you know, Minishamayim Bechua? Don't you know that, that the Romans were put in place by God? So what are you doing? Endangering everyone and so on and so forth. And what does he say? God will have mercy on me. He says to him, I'm telling you, I'm telling you real matters. And you're telling me God's going to have mercy? It'd be bewilderment to me if they don't burn you and your Sefer Torah together. Wrap you. Okay? Story continues. 
Rabbi Hanani bin Taraja says the most outstanding statement, I believe, in all shots. He says to him, Rabbi, ma'ani lechaye olam haba. Do I merit olam haba? I'm sorry. Rabbi Hanani bin Taraja was just stated that he's giving Shurim B'Torah Berabim. Sefer Torah Munach Lechaykechah. I assume he put on tefillin. I assume he put on tzitzis. I assume he kept Shabbos better than I can keep Shabbos. I assume he kept name of mitzvah. But did he see Ashrei three times a day? I would assume, right? Mm-hmm. I would assume it's a ton in the Gemara. And his question to his Rebbe is, Rebbe ma'ani l'chaye olam haba. You know what his Rebbe's answer is, Thomas? Kum Has anything ever come into your hand? And listen, I'll explain. Listen to his answer. He says to him, you know what? One time, I had money of Purim and money of the Aniyim, and I didn't know which one was which, so I gave it all. I had my money, and I had money that for the Aniyim. I didn't know which one was which. I had 50 bucks in my wallet. 25 of mine was mine. Another time, I didn't know whose was whose, so I gave the whole thing. You know what his response is? Wow. Im Kane, I wish my chalik would be like your chalik. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I mean, giving 25 bucks without realizing whose money it was, like, that's that's the great thing. But the Maybe key is... What? Maybe it was way more. Yeah, still. Like, still. A, a thousand bucks. And then You're not sure who's it is. A million dollars. Still. So, but, but what was, what was being said, though? Listen to what was being said. And this is the Rambam's proof to this Mishnah. This is the Rambam's proof. Yeah? Klum ma'ase ba layadcha. Has anything just come in your hands? Meaning what? No ulterior motives. Is it, has it just come your way where you weren't trying to think like, oh, if I do this, I'll get scar, or or if I do this, God will like me, oh, or so if I do this, you, something that you weren't thinking would happen because you were just doing the mitzvah and it came to you. You were but... just doing it because you were doing it. And if so, I wish my chilek would be like yours. How did that story apply to what he just said? Though? Because the Rambam says, huh? Where's the lishma in my story? The lishma was that you weren't doing it for any ulterior motive besides for that itself. You weren't trying to gain anything out of it. It wasn't mechanical. Essentially, always in your head, you've got these mechanical ideas. Whether you recognize them or not, they exist. If I do this, then God will be happy. There's certain patterns that we make in our head. If I do this, then I can be a good Jew and I won't feel bad about myself tomorrow or next month. Imagine if you didn't put on phone for a month. How would you feel at the end of the month? Not good. To make God happy is a, is a reason that it's not Lashma anymore? No, we're not, no, we'll get to it in a second. No, that's not, no. It's not to make him happy, it's to share. What does that mean to share? I'll explain, I'll explain that part in a second. If you want to finish one point, I'll explain that part in a second. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's that it's not mechanical. I'm not trying to think of a way to do it, to get something out of it, to be. I'm only involving it for its namesake. Does that make sense? There was no ulterior motive. There was no other judgments. It was just being involved in it. Purely for it. And that's the Rambam's proof from that Gemara. That the Ficha... So let's read back the Mishnah. For that. Just for that. For that moment. For giving away the money even though you didn't have to? Exactly. Or for giving away the money because you know that that's what Hashem would want you to do. No, no, no. That's not even what he says. That's not even what he says. Okay. Purely because I was engaged in this relationship, not for anything else. So so let's just read back the Mishnah. God wanted to give merit to Yisrael. Therefore, he gave them a lot of Torah and mitzvot. Why? 
Maybe you'll do one right. And this is the Rambam's proof. He brings it down? He brings it down. You get it? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys.